Welcome to Rose Tinted, a podcast where we challenge the limits of our nostalgia by re-examining some of our favourite childhood movies. I'm Ollie Chip. And I'm Paddy HK. And today we will be discussing Babe. Yes, indeed. I had a really good time with this one, you know. Did you? No spoilsies, but I might actually say, possibly with the exception of Small Soldiers, this was the most I've enjoyed a movie so far throughout this podcast experience. Ah, That's interesting. But before we get into that, I just want to give a bit of background info to the uninitiated about this podcast. So Ollie and I are old friends who decided to make a list of our favourite childhood movies so we can revisit them one by one to see if they still hold up to scrutiny. Some loose rules for our selection process. The movies have to bear some kind of significance to our childhood or early adolescence, and we try to only select movies that we have not watched since that time. So with that out of the way, Ollie, why don't you tell us a little bit about Babe? So uh, Babe is a film that was released in 1995. Um, It was directed by someone called Chris Noonan, who I think was nominated for an Academy Award for this movie. Yeah. Which is interesting, to say the least. I believe this movie was actually nominated for seven Academy Awards. It's crazy. It's really highly rated as well, which I was a little bit shocked about. Not because the movie necessarily was bad. I just thought it was a bit of a sleeper movie. Do you know what I mean? Like went under the radar, but it's got like really high critical acclaim um it's written well technically written by dick king smith who wrote the novel i think it was called sheep pig the novel but the screenplay was written by george miller Mm. which is incredible because for those of you who aren't aware george miller is the writer director of the mad max series (laughs) and most and most recently the director of mad max fury road which is potentially one of the greatest action movies that's ever been made and when you think of that and if you haven't seen mad max it's really worth watching but post-apocalyptic murder and yeah destruction and then he directs this little animal movie i find that sort of juxtaposition quite funny mate if you ask me if you ask me makes perfect sense well yeah i guess that yeah similar themes run through both <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> Um, in terms of the stars, I mean, most of these are voice acting the animal characters, but uh, James Cromwell plays Farmer Hoggett yeah. um, alongside Magda Zubanski, who is his wife. Um, I think they're quite charming in those roles. Mm-hmm. But then we've got some actually like pretty interesting voice acting going on. So when I was watching the film earlier on, I was listening out, there was a sheepdog, and I was like, this sheepdog's voice is really, really familiar. Yeah. And I uh, realised quite quickly that it's Hugo Weaving's voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is incredible. So you just got Elrond just chatting away as a dog. I was literally like, this dog is speaking with an uncanny amount of authority. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. The one that got me the most, though, was the voice of Babe himself, Mm -hmm. or herself. Babe is a... I had to look this up because there's a confusing shot in the movie where this shows you what kind of week I've had. But basically, there's a shot where they're measuring Babe's stomach and Babe has, like, multiple (laughs) nipples. And I was like, wait, so is Babe a girl? And then I ended up Googling how many nipples do pigs have? (laughs) (laughs) You're on an FBI wanted list somewhere for that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
yeah, yeah. Um, but it turns out, yeah, um, male pigs also have multiple nipples. So Babe is, in fact, a male pig, but is, yes, voiced uh, by a woman, I believe. Yeah, it's voiced by Christine Cavanaugh, who is, um, incidentally and amazingly, also the voice of Dexter from Dexter's Laboratory. Oh, my God, that's fantastic. Which is awesome. And when you watch it, knowing that, you can really hear the notes. Like, you expect Babe at one point just to go, no, Diddy, Diddy, no, like that. There's a point where he actually slips into the accent and it's when he's describing the mechanical rooster (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it really like channels dexter really nicely and i think dexter's lab came out i want to say 96 so like around the same time Mm. um the budget for it was roughly 30 million us dollars which i think is a bargain to Mm -hmm. be honest considering some of the i want to say i don't know if they call them special effects but there's a really close attention to detail in terms of set design and obviously like the amount of animal trainers they must have had to employ to do this movie is mind-boggling yeah and it grossed globally 254.1 million so it was a huge success really when you add those numbers up and i guess rightly so i don't know i i definitely think rightly so and i think it's interesting that you said at the beginning you said it was it received such critical acclaim and i think it's one of the few movies that we've looked at where that acclaim has been particularly enduring i was doing a bit of reading about it in in the run-up to this episode and it feels like retrospectively people have really started to appreciate the nuances and the depth that the movie had because like as you said at the time when it came out it was marketed and billed and very much sort of it is a family-friendly fun movie Mm. and it came out during an era where talking animal movies were like 10 a penny yeah this is the first of many that i'm sure we're gonna have to watch for this podcast isn't it exactly it's a good place to start though to be fair no we're starting on a high but i think at the time it would have been very easy for this movie to get lost amongst the homeward bounds or the Mm. you know the cats and dogs of the world (laughs) i immediately thought of cats and dogs when i watched this and i was like there is absolutely no way that movie will have held up as well as this um (laughs) but yeah so i think now that it's gotten a little bit of distance from that particular cinematic trend it's merits are able to shine a little bit more yeah there's a reason why this one has endured and those other ones that you've just mentioned have sort of like fallen into a bit of obscurity yeah definitely do you want my uh, plot summaries yes sure okay cool so this is the back of the box one a sweet yet naive orphan pig named babe finds himself on a farm with a menagerie of other talking animals he is soon adopted by a family of sheepdogs and slowly learns the rules of farmyard life through a series of unique, tragic, and heartwarming events, Babe demonstrates to his animal friends and the humans that own them that pigs definitely are not stupid after all. That's really good. I love that. That's the sort of back-of-the-box summary and my my one-sentence summary. Harrowing expository documentary about the true nature of competitive sheepdog trials. <laughs> yeah very good oh dear so um with the formalities out of the way paddy why did this movie make the list for you well i think this is one of those movies that i just vividly remember re-watching quite a lot you know those videos that everyone's grandparents seem to have this was one of those for me like this is one of the few videos that my grandma had that i used to watch on repeat so she had this she had the lion king 2 for some reason and then she had like peter rabbit and 
and Jemima Puddle Duck and things like that. Beatrix Potter. Beatrix Potter, yeah, 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 that's the one. And yeah, so this was one of the videos that she had at her house. So whenever we'd go over there on like a rainy Sunday or whatever, we'd just watch this on repeat. And I remember always really liking the movie. And as you pointed out in your one sentence summary, being considerably troubled by it at points as well. <laughs> so I have fairly decent memories of the movie. I remembered the overall structure and plot arc and sort of narrative. Uh, but some key scenes that stuck out to me in my head were Bar-Ram-Yu, so the chant, the secret code chant that the sheeps have. I remember Ma telling Babe a terrifying story of the nature of wolves and how they tear sheep to pieces. Mm. And I remember, because obviously the film is structured in chapters, because it's like a storybook. Yeah. One of the chapters is just called A Tragic Day. And I remember that specifically because whenever I re-watched the movie... Fast forward. Like the sense of <laughs> dread that would descend onto my heart as soon as A Tragic Day came up was really palpable. Um, so yeah, strong memories of this movie and favourable memories overall. Uh, what about you? I just wanted to, I didn't want to interrupt you, but when you'd said The Lion King 2, I have quite a funny story about The Lion King 2. <laughs> go on. But uh, my very good friend Adam, hello Adam if you're listening to this, his dad used to go over to France, they had like a little cottage in France, and his dad used to get loads of bootlegged DVDs and he'd bring them back for us to watch. And one of them was The Lion King 2, but he brought the box back and he was like, here you go boys, this is The Lion King 2. And we looked at the box and what it actually said it was like the lion king in terms of the imagery on the box but what it was actually called was the loin king too <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> It's called The Lion King 2. And we're sort of looking over the box. And you know they've got the pull quotes on, on DVD boxes where it's like five stars, must watch, whatever. Yeah. They had bootlegged one of those as well. And it just said on the front of the box, and it, this is absolute gold, it just said, not as good as the first, but still okay. <laughs> <laughs> not as good as the first Lion King, presumably. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just it's so good. But in terms of my memories, that, or my reason for selection, I guess, first of all, is that I have had loads of Dickin Smith books when I was a kid. Mm. There was one in particular, I think I've still got on my shelf actually, called The Big Pig Book, which was basically just a collection of short stories about pigs on farms and like, you know, personified animals and things like that. So I had a, a real affinity with those books when I was a kid. So when they made one of them into a film, obviously was very keen to watch it. Also, like, I grew up and I still live in quite rural Kent, mm. which is full of just um, acres and acres of farmland. And it's a really familiar film in that regard for me because they, they exist. They exist in this strange netherworld, though, in this movie. That's like they all speak in urban American accents, but they live in this sort of like whimsical, strange British farm. Yeah. So I don't really know about like the actual position of this geographically, but it, it looks like a lot of the places where I grew up. It's filmed in Australia as well just a side note was it yeah yeah and well uh, it makes sense because Chris Noonan and George Miller are both Australian mm. so yeah I just had like a I had a bit of a connection with that but weirdly in terms of the memories of the film it, like a lot of it escaped me and I think when I talk about maybe the stuff that isn't so good about this movie the reason I haven't really remembered much is because the narrative is really meandering and doesn't make a huge amount of sense in terms of a three act conventional mm. structure and I think that might be a reason why I couldn't really remember what actually happened happens in the film right. and when you break it down 
Not much does, to be honest. Um, so I think, like, in terms of memories of what actually the film was about, it, they escaped me. But the main thing that I do remember is the voice of Babe. Yeah. It's hard to really forget. It's, it's basically like a toned-down Dexter from Dexter's Lab. You know, it's very distinctive, and that voice stuck in my head. As soon as that pig started talking, I was like, ah, here we go. I remember this. Yeah, yeah. It's all clicking into place now. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think this could be a really interesting discussion because I... Uh... God, I don't want to say that this is a flawless movie, but... No, I think I'm going to say I think it's a flawless movie. <laughs> I okay. just, no, 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 that's a bit strong, but I, I absolutely love this movie. Like, I had just such a good time watching it. And, yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from when you say the plot is a little meandering. But before we get into that, let's just discuss the specific things we did enjoy about the movie. So yeah, Ollie, it sounded like you had a bit more of a challenging experience with this movie than me, but why don't you tell me what you did enjoy about it? Um, first off, I, I really I really like the aesthetic of the farm. I like the old stone fences and the fact that it's all sort of like almost German expressionism in the way that the farmhouse is always like slanted and angular and, and strange and sort of asymmetrical. And I quite liked that aesthetic, mm. which is maintained pretty much consistently throughout the whole film. So I really enjoyed that. Um, I've got written in my notes here, them animals be well behaved. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, big <laughs> concurrence there. I would say the animal training is absolutely flawless. They behave like animated animals do. It's incredible. In fact, that was the main thing uh, I was just looking out for while I was watching this. I wasn't really paying attention too much to what they were saying, but just like, fuck me, how did they get the sheep to do that? That was something that I had on my list as well, and I think it speaks to how effectively they balanced not only the use of incredibly well-trained animals, but also animatronics and CGI for the mouth movements and stuff. Yeah. Obviously, I think with the sheep in particular, a lot of them were prosthetics, but it was barely noticeable. It was barely noticeable. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Sorry. No, there's one thing I absolutely adored is every time the sheep said a vowel, they did it in a bar. It was amazing. I know, yeah. No, but yeah, there's, there's some absolutely astounding moments of animal performance and animal training. One that particularly sticks out to me is when Babe has the alarm clock in his mouth. So there's a scene where Babe and Ferdinand the Duck want to go and steal the alarm clock from the bedroom or the mechanical rooster as they call it and babe has is carrying the alarm clock in his mouth and is also trying to navigate some tangled up string that's on the floor and it's a real pig holding a clock in its mouth and not only that there's a scene where the pig is speaking with the clock in its mouth so obviously the pig's not really speaking but it's been dubbed but they somehow got this pig to hold a clock in its mouth and also move its mouth a little bit to sort of move the clock around and just stuff like that you really do wonder how the hell do you do you even pull that off you know yeah i want to see the gag reel of this film yeah definitely do you know what i mean i reckon there's like four years worth of footage that they couldn't use because the animals were just like misbehaving it looks flawless the way they behave but that is one take out of six hundred thousand takes of him carrying the clock down the stairs like oh yeah. you know ones of him just like shitting on the top step or like eating the clock, attacking the duck, whatever, you know. I really want to see that gag reel. I hope it exists somewhere. I want to see some random intern slipping in a huge pile of shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The amount of shit on that set would have been astronomical. <laughs> exactly that. But yeah, I think like the animal performances are amazing and, and I've put there, it's like animatronics done properly. 
Mm-hmm. If we compare it, I know that we shouldn't really do this because it's not the point. But like, if we compare this to like Mouse Hunt, for example, mm. and the use of animatronics there and the use of CGI, it's so overt and jarring that it becomes almost distracting. But it's absolutely seamless in this movie. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And I think you can segue on from that into just generally speaking about the way the animals are characterized. I thought the fact that considering the fact that the animals are unable to facially emote and that the performances are basically being carried entirely through the physical direction of the animals and the voice acting, the characterization of each creature is like incredibly strong. Mm. Each character has their own motivations and flaws and needs and philosophies. And I think the fact that the movie is able to make the animals seem so relatable without really anthropomorphizing them is such an incredible achievement Mm. and there's just loads of little details that make each character or society seem unique in their own way and you find yourself relating to them i related to that duck (laughs) so much more than a lot of the characters in the movies that we've covered which i think is definitely to the movie's credit so what's your favorite animal in babe then paddy i would probably say it's a toss-up between ferdinand the duck the cat and Ma, who's like the maternal sheep, who's just like really cynical and jaded and sort of her cynicism is offset with Babe's innocence quite nicely. Yeah. There's some like reasonably subtle adult humour in this movie. Oh yeah. One particular moment that stuck out to me that got a genuine laugh out of me was the character that Paddy's just mentioned called Ferdinand the Duck and his basic character trait is that he wants to be a rooster. Yeah. So he wakes up every morning early and tries to out-rooster the rooster but obviously he's a duck so he can't do it. And um, he's talking to Babe about retrieving the alarm clock from the house because he said like, you know, every animal has a purpose and if that alarm clock exists then I don't have a purpose because it's basically a mechanical rooster. It does the job for me and he said like this is my only option because the rooster has a loud voice and the rooster makes eggs with the hens and then he just says really subtly as a throwaway comment i tried it with the hens but it didn't work so this is my only option (laughs) and the image conjured in my head there is so funny like kids would miss that completely but it's just like this duck trying to have it off with a load of heads and just failing it just makes me giggle and especially when you know the duck's character as well (laughs) he's like such a pathetic needy character (laughs) i could just fully imagine it yeah no that made me laugh as well and i think i think you're right the movie has a dark comedic vein running through it Mm. and there are a lot of jokes that went over my head when i was a kid I think the one that made me laugh the most, and this again goes back to what I was saying with the contrast of Babe's naivete and innocence and some of the older animals' cynicism, I think that's generally played for great comic effect. But there's one particular moment where Ma, she's basically, because it's Christmas time and everyone sort of like the elephant in the room is that Babe is going to be eaten at Christmas. (laughs) And he has fucking no no idea. idea. (laughs) Yeah, he has absolutely no idea. And so Ma's basically in no uncertain terms saying he's going to die. And there's this sort of like ominous music in the background as she's cutting off. And then literally without blinking, Babe just turns around and starts going, la, 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 la. And it's just this like total juxtaposition between Ma basically saying, you're going to die and I'm going to miss you. But that's just the way things are. And him just singing Jingle Bells just got a huge laugh out of me. Yeah, Um, that's good. That is good. Yeah. What else do you have on your list? Uh, Well, the one last thing I want to really mention, because it's hilarious. Whenever I see something like this, in a movie I always have a picture of like what the conversation was to make it happen Mm. and um, I can't remember this might be in the book that's why there's such an emphasis on it but the gate 
game in this movie is absolutely exceptional. There's a farmyard gate that the farmer makes and it's like this really elaborate over-the-top mechanism of it clo- opening yeah. and closing on its own. And I just had this image in my head of like the set designer being like, right, I've spent weeks <laughs> making this fucking gate for you, George Miller, and it's going to get in this movie as much as physically possible. So there's bits of the, in the movie where it's just like gate porn, where they just sort of like <laughs> plunk the camera down in wide shot and just leave it there for 15 seconds while the gate opens and closes on its own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just love that, like that little tiny nuance. And I just had in my mm. mind just like a set designer being like, yeah, man, I, wa- I made that gate. Look at it go. This engineering degree is being put to full use right now yeah exactly yeah exactly and they had to really fight their corner to get it in the movie yeah yeah (laughs) and it's such a nice little character beat for farmer hoggart because the way the old gate opens he slams down on it and it opens really aggressively and slams and it makes him jump and he just gives it like a you know a disdainful look and he doesn't address it directly but it just shows that he he's not happy with his gate and then it just becomes like a little project of his throughout yeah. the movie which ends up serving the narrative later so yeah it's just like little touches like that i just really really enjoyed yeah. if the person who was responsible for that gate by some quirk of fate is listening to this podcast <laughs> yeah well done you yeah we recognize <laughs> your work <laughs> Oh dear. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I'm done with the stuff that I particularly enjoyed. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more on those things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we've already hinted at, I think I came away from this experience with a, a bit more of a positive outlook on this film than you perhaps did. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've got quite a few things that I want to cover, some of which I've already touched on slightly. First of all, I just want to give a little nod to the music in the movie and the theme tune. The first thing that happens when the credits roll is the theme tune starts playing and it's like immediately evocative it like brings the memories of the movie straight back it's very distinctive and i like how it's paid off later on in the movie so it's set up as like a motif which repeats throughout the movie at various points and then the sort of emotional climax of the movie is when babe is sick because he thinks he's going to be eaten so he runs out into a storm and he gets found by the farmer who has to bring him home and nurse him back to health and then he starts quietly singing the theme tune to him and it just escalates into this huge musical number where where like because obviously the character of Arthur Hoggart is a very restrained taciturn character mm-hmm. and he just has this explosion of love and passion for this little pig <laughs> that's entered his life and it's almost like this theme tune that was set up at the beginning of the movie is like paid off in that moment and I just absolutely love it I love the music I love that particular musical motif and that actually leads into something I, I've sort of touched on the performance of the animals and the way that they're directed but I actually think James Cromwell's performance of Arthur Hoggett is wonderful yeah it's amazing he's lovely he's like a little granddad he's absolutely fantastic in it and he does so much with so little yeah he only had 171 words of spoken dialogue in the movie and 61 of those words were sung and I reckon the other the other however many words is just the word pig (laughs) yeah yeah, that'll do pig that'll do he repeats the phrase that'll do (laughs) you know and that's taking up a percentage of the word count but um he somehow is able to create a character that is so evocative and so expressive and you understand his motivations and his frustrations and his passion for what he does and it's all established with the absolute bare minimum of dialogue 
And the reason I brought this up is that I want to go back to the song that he sings to Babe when he's nursing him back to health. The first line of the song is "If I had words," and it's just it's just be ah, it's just beautiful. <laughs> like it's absolutely beautiful. He just completely adores this pig, but he doesn't know how to express it, so he has to express it through the medium of song and dance. I love it. Well, my well, my favorite little bit from him is where for Christmas they're like family come over and they've got these two abhorrent little children that are really spoiled and greedy and really channeled Charlie and the Chocolate Factory for me and those characters um, but yeah there's just a bit where there's a moment taken and you think it's just a random pointless moment early on in the film where you see Farmer Hoggett really painstakingly and, and carefully building a, a doll's house and you think oh why is he doing that it's out of place but you realise then later on that he's building it as a gift for one of these children and um, the kid rips open this gift and then promptly starts crying crying because it's not the right one it's like not the one off the telly or something that she says and there's just this lovely little moment where it cuts to him in close-up he's in the back of the room and he just like just has this wry smile as he's watching this kid cry at his creation and that really summed up for me like him as a character he's sort of like quiet diligent does the right thing and doesn't make a fuss when things don't go his way like he never has an outburst of rage or anger or anything like that it's just that really nice little moment where he just sort of like almost like a shoulder shrug like oh never mind whatever well because to him he enjoyed putting the house together anyway and um he doesn't have any troubles because he's got a little pig who he loves (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah so i absolutely loved his character loved his performance i thought his the actor who played his wife also did a great job. She had a couple of really fun comedic beats, especially towards the end of the movie. So yeah, the two central human performances were excellent. I would also say that, just moving on a little bit, I touched on the comedy a little bit and how I think it's juxtaposed really nicely with the sort of darker elements of the film to enhance the comedy, essentially. Mm. And I actually think that balance of tone, whether it be horror or comedy or drama, is really exceptional throughout the movie so I think the way the gentleness and the lightheartedness of the movie is offset with those darker moments it enhances not only the comedy but also the horror and the drama as well for example there's the occasional use of horror motifs to signal the fate of certain animals so there's one point where Babe is like really cheerfully like playfully playing with all the puppies on the farm and they're running and it's bright sunshine and it's just like lovely lighthearted music and then he suddenly runs into a barn and the puppies immediately stop at the threshold of the barn and run away and the music switches and it becomes really dark and foreboding and there's these shots of just these like meat cleavers and silhouettes of like meat hooks in the foreground of the shot and like the but there's a sound of a buzzing fly implying like some like dried blood and stuff and whatever yeah immediately it goes from home on the range to Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> in, in, in like half a second and it does it without it feeling jarring it makes complete sense within the context of the movie. Well, I mean, that's legitimately what a farm's like as well, isn't it? It's like the creation of life and the the maintenance of a food source. Mm. But death is always round the corner on a farm. You walk into the wrong room and you see death. Well, I'm so glad you said death is always round the corner because at that point, Babe walks into the barn 
and he has a talk with Ferdinand, like Ferdinand the Duck's in there. And there's a shot, there's sort of like a top-down shot of them talking, and the meat hooks are quite literally hanging over their heads. So it's almost like death is always hanging over their heads. And I think it has a really interesting effect, because not only is it an effective moment of tension and moment of horror from a cinematic perspective, but it sort of makes the audience question their own internal sanitization of that industry. (laughs) Because we all go to farms when we're kids, and we all play with the cute little animals, and we all want to relate to the cartoon animals and the talking animals in the movies that we go to, but then we all have bacon sandwiches in the morning. And so I think because we identify with Babe, like Babe's naivety kind of mirrors our own. Yeah. And it really emphasizes the reality of the situation. Yeah. My, uh, one of my close friends used to run a farm mm. and um, this film is a, a good rendition of what happened to me when I was there because out the front of the farm open for the public is like a petting zoo effectively where you can come and feed the animals have a cup of coffee bring your kids whatever mm. and I was there this was only going back probably five six years ago now so was, I was you know mid-twenties and uh, I was there because he needed a hand on the farm so we turned up and I walked in the front and it's all this lovely like light-hearted bright sunny day all these kids charging around like feeding animals animals and, and stroking animals and it's all lovely and <laughs> he was like he's like come on you've got to come and help me and he took me promptly into the abattoir where we had to systematically for like three hours just dice up chicken carcasses and put oh them in packaging God, and i was dude. just the whole time just like there like covered in innards just thinking like <laughs> just outside there are children like playing around with these animals having a wonderful spiritually nourishing time and i'm here in the back just like desecrating the corpses of of battery farmed animals <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> they're not it's not a battery farm that was exaggeration deliberately on my half. They're free-range hens. Yeah, yeah. It's good to see behind the curtain, though. It's good that you got that glimpse. Well, I think this the reason I brought that story up because I think that this film's intention is to maybe... Th- there's a slight educational tone to it and that it's trying to demonstrate to kids that farming's important, but there are some like quite harrowing experiences that I had on a farm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, especially from the perspective of the animals, which is the perspective that this movie is adopting. Yeah. And it's actually interesting little fact that I just looked up now. James Cromwell, who played Arthur Hoggett. Um, He'd been a vegetarian since the 1970s, but he became a vegan specifically after playing uh, this character. So after acting opposite the pig who played Babe, he decided to become a vegan. And I think that is a very deliberate ethical message that's being put through the movie. I don't don't think the movie is challenging the existence of farms or saying there's anything inherently immoral about farms. But what I do think the movie is challenging is our complicity within that system and our desire to look the other way from the realities of what that system entails. There's that moment, isn't there, where the horrible in-laws come over. You don't witness directly the slaughter of the duck, but we experience the slaughter of a duck and all the animals are really mm. upset. Then they cook the duck for Christmas dinner. And um, there's this sort of like close-up of one of the humans as he carves the carcass of the duck up. And instead of it being like an M&S advert with fucking Stevie Nicks in the background or whatever, <laughs> we've got this close-up as he starts carving the duck and there's this like grotesque sort of like squelching cracking noise mm. that you would hear in like a horror movie when someone's being butchered yeah but like the actual scene itself is very wholesome and sanitized and look at this lovely family christmas dinner but it's like punctuated with this horrible like 
as he carves the duck up. Do you know what I mean? It just really does help sort of emphasise the naivety that people have for farming. Yeah, absolutely. And it also kind of goes back to what I was saying about this consistent balance of tone throughout the movie. And Christmas is very deliberately portrayed as being sinister. So for the animals, it's a time of tension and fear and doubt. What does Ferdinand call Christmas? He just completely loses his mind and starts running around the farm going, Christmas is carnage! Christmas is carnage! (laughs) That's it. Yeah, Christmas is carnage. That's the line. And so whilst the humans are singing carols and just having a lovely, wholesome time, like you say, all these animals are just like, am am I next? Like They're having like a total existential meltdown. And it's just another good example of that juxtaposition of lightheartedness and existential horror that bring the overall themes of the movie home. So yeah, you do have these pretty complex themes that are handled very deftly, in my opinion, and in such a way that it doesn't spoil the overall enjoyment of the movie from an entertainment standpoint, you know? Uh, Yeah, I would agree. I think that's a a nice way of putting it. I did want to mention one final thing, and this is just like a tiny little thing, but I I basically also think that the ending to this movie is about as perfect an ending to a movie that you can get. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of the most satisfying and cathartic endings to a film I've seen in a long time. So the ending is a sheepdog trial, and Farmer Hoggett spends the second, well, the last third of the movie, really, with a dilemma of whether or not to enter the pig into a sheepdog dog competition right Mm. and he suddenly finally decides to do so and uh the committee of sheepdog trainers are like what are you doing you're tarnishing the reputation of this prestigious event blah 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 eventually they let him do it and what's so magnificent about it is that he just stands there and watches and says nothing and the pig just trots up to the sheep. If you think of it outside the realm of the film as just one of those spectators, you're just watching a man stand in the middle of a field saying and doing nothing, and this pig just, like, perfectly and calmly rounding up sheep. And gracefully. Gracefully. And gracefully, yeah. <laughs> and it's all done as well with no non-diegetic sound. It's all just natural sound of the scene with no music. Everyone is super silent watching, and it's just fucking perfect. Yeah, it's the ultimate climax to a movie yeah it's brilliant yeah i think it's i think it's wonderful and just going back to what you were talking about this movie has sort of like a weird fetish for gates and i love how <laughs> yeah. the most tense moment of the movie in that climax is babe herds the sheep into their little pen and then it does this excruciating close-up of hoggett grabbing the gate and closing the gate and the only sound you can hear is the creaking of the gate and then the little latch at the end but it, it takes ages though he's closing it for like 15 <laughs> seconds or something and it's just like this shot that just follows the motion of the gate and then as soon as it latches the crowd just erupts into just like insane joy basically yeah it is good it's a good moment So yeah, I want to ask you what you didn't like so much about the movie, but if you wouldn't mind, I literally have two throwaway lines, because like I said, this movie to me was as close to perfect as I think I could possibly get. (laughs) So yeah, number one, the kids are annoying and kind of pointless, so Hoggett's grandchildren, they do help to illustrate these nice little character beats that you mentioned earlier, and also how disconnected Hoggett feels from his world, but they are very annoying and they don't, they add very little Mm -hmm. to the movie, I think. 
Secondly, the audio dubbing in the opening scene, um, not the opening scene, it's like the second scene where Hoggett is at a fairground and that's where he wins Babe in a competition. The audio dubbing in that scene is noticeably bad. Right. It's just a little thing that stuck out to me. I was just watching it and I was just like, wow, this is really badly dubbed audio. And I don't know why maybe the actual diegetic noise of the of the fairground scene was too much and they had to dub it. Probably. But it was just like, yeah, really, really noticeably bad. But other than that, Perfect movie. <laughs> 10 out of 10. That'll do, movie. That'll do. <laughs> now take it away. Ruin my evening. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I've got a few things I think are worth considering. Yeah. The first one is like, although we've just spoken at length about some of the great artistic choices in this movie, I think there are a few that are not only unnecessary, but sort of like detract from the film as a whole. Mm. And I think the main one for me that really started to quite irritate me actually by the end of the movie was, first of all, the chapters. Yeah. So... After every sequence in this movie, before it leads into the next one, there is an intertitle which gives you the name of the chapter, which I presume is pulled straight from the book. Mm -hmm. And it's narrated, or the title is narrated by a, a group of high-pitched squeaking mice characters. Mm -hmm. And I thought they heavily detracted from the rest of the film. I couldn't quite work out the point of the mice. Like, they were there as an element of comic relief, mm. but didn't really go anywhere beyond that. What I think that was, was a slightly cynical attempt at putting like a cute squeaky animal into the film to help sell it to kids yeah um, yeah uh, so I didn't like that and I thought the actual titles themselves almost spoilt the preceding scenes that they were outlining mm. I think it would have been far more effective to have these scenes just run into each other in a conventional way without those titles because the actual drama of the scenes would probably be a little bit more hard-hitting like obviously all the chapter titles are hugely foreshadowing what's actually going to happen in the scene that you're about to watch and I think that actually in places that really detracted from the drama of the sequences. Yeah. So I really didn't like that as an artistic choice. I thought that it really did detract from the overall enjoyment of the film for me. That's a relatively small one. The main problem that I had with this movie, really, I guess I could sum it up by just saying it's all a little bit weird. What I'd like you to do for me, Paddy, is just imagine for a minute while I explain this that all of the animal characters are actually just human characters, right? Mm. Because they're treated like humans. They talk and behave like humans uh, and they interact like humans, but they're obviously animals. But I'd like you just to imagine that all of those characters are humans. So Babe is a, is a young child and uh, Fly is, you know, like a mid-40s mother. You've got the sort of the working class dad in Rex. Just visualise all yeah. these characters as, as human beings and when you think of it in these terms like if we treat these animals like they're human beings what's effectively happening is that babe is not really acknowledging that he is now a friend of someone who moments before would happily cannibalize and eat them <laughs> okay yeah i couldn't get that dynamic out of my head like yes he's naive and young but if we actually personify these animals properly what he's basically doing is forgiving cannibalism in some way and he doesn't really challenge that to any particular degree also the character of rex who is like the old sheepdog who is mm. embittered and nasty he becomes an accomplice of babes 
at the end and sort of redeems himself. But weirdly, the only reason that happens is because he is heavily sedated by a vet. So this idea that Rex only starts being nice to the other animals around him because he's just completely fucking high as a kite. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He also viciously attacks both Mr. Hoggett and what we would assume is his wife or at least his life partner. Mm. So effectively, and it sounds like I'm making a joke here, but I'm trying not to, is effectively he's like a drug addict and a domestic abuser, but he's given a real, really strong redemption at the end. Yeah, I would actually agree with that characterization of Rex quite strongly. He is essentially an abusive father and husband. Yeah. And everyone has to walk on eggshells around him. They're worried about pissing him off. At one point, he's really angry. And Fly is like, oh, it'd be best if you stayed out of his way for a while. And it brought a lot of stuff home for me. You know, not to get too personal. I know we're meant to be a lighthearted movie podcast. But, you know, I had a dad that I had to walk on eggshells around. And like, you know, oh, it might be best if you stay out of his way Mm. was a phrase that I heard myself in childhood. And I remember relating to that character on that level. I would say in regards to the drugs thing, the sedation, thing i think if we're going to go down this road of reading it and i would i I kind of want to challenge this reading a little bit just because i think even though these are anthropomorphized animals who you can relate to i think their experiences are very much grounded in the kind of animal that they are and i think that you struggle to get past that whereas i sort of took that at face value but two things first of all in regards to rex i would see him as kind of like a damaged traumatized individual who then receives the appropriate medication for his internal issues you know so like let's say if you're someone um who has a particular mental health issue and you receive mood stabilizers so i didn't read him as like a drug addict i more read him as someone who was mentally unwell lashed out at his loved ones and then quite literally received medical treatment from a doctor so i think that's one way of reading it rather than him being a drug addict or someone who's only redeemed through drugs yeah the the problem that i have though is that he doesn't really face any direct consequences for the terrible actions that he commits earlier on and i think it's a writing error more than anything else but it's just sort of the way the scenes lead in together it's like he's horrible and nasty and violent he is given medication then suddenly he's an ally i feel that that's quite a quite a jump to make obviously this is a kids movie but what I'm getting at is that that sort of detached me a little bit. Because they, they are at pains. I know that you said that like a lot of the animal characters are still grounded in the animal that they are, and I would agree with you. But I would also say that the film does go to quite extreme lengths to make them seem relatable to human beings. And I think that that sometimes is at quite significant odds with the overarching messages of the film. Yeah. Um, particularly the ones about, you know sort of the the horrors of what it is to be a farmyard animal effectively yeah i think i definitely agree with you it does muddle the message a little bit the film's trying to juggle a lot of complex themes and i can totally appreciate why they didn't land for you going back to what you said about babe being like an apologist for farmer hoggett i think the cannibalizing thing is maybe a bit of a stretch (laughs) but i think if we were to take your analogy for granted if these animals are actually people then in the logic of that analogy hoggett is god essentially he's the god that determines their fate he's not a peer he's the boss they always refer to him as the boss throughout the movie and like he's the one that decides what their purpose is and what their fate is essentially but um 
I wanted to go back a little bit and just talk a little bit more about Rex because I think I agree he's such a compelling character, but I think the movie is guilty of sanitizing some of his behaviors. And it actually does take me back to ex what my experiences of the movie were as a child because I remember watching this movie and not really questioning any of his behavior. To me, that was like, oh, this is just what dads do. He's just a dad. And I think the movie is quite complicit in this idea of like, these things that we now perceive as abusive, the movie is sort of like maybe guilty of normalising a little bit. Yeah. Particularly, I mean, that particular moment, isn't there, where Fly is deeply upset that her puppies are being given away for money. Mm. And there's actually a deliberate close-up as Farmer Hoggett takes the cash out of the wallet. So it's just like, mm. it's all just like a transaction, but it's actually really horrible because mm. you're selling someone else's children, effectively. And she's really upset about it, and rightly so. And then Rex is just sitting there watching sort of nobly with unwavering loyalty to Hoggett. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just think that like, yeah, that's a little bit incongruous with what it's trying to say. Yeah, definitely. But I like the fact that it almost... I, I don't know, I don't want to be too much of an apologist for this movie, but like that incongruity, I think it could definitely be read as incongruous. But I also think that some of the topics it's trying to deal with in this world that the movie inhabits, there are these ethical contradictions and there are these contradictions of character, you know? Can you be someone who slaughters animals and someone who loves animals at the same time? I mean, a person who, like Hoggett, would probably say yes. Well, I think that maybe then that that is the summary of my main issue with the film is that it doesn't address those contradictions in a satisfying mm. way for me. I think that there is no real repercussions for some of the terrible things that happen. Yeah. Farmer Hoggett, for as much as I love the acting of that character and I love the character itself, himself, he doesn't change really. You say that the actor himself became vegan after working on this, on <laughs> yeah. this film, but the character he plays basically just continues to live his life of effectively abusing these farm animals. Animals, right but we don't we don't know that we don't but there should be really to qualify that and to make it a certainty there should be a moment of realization that he's like i'm gonna stop treating the animals this way because there's no need for it i'm gonna do things differently that is an approach so by default you have to assume that nothing changes i would have loved to have seen some kind of epilogue to the movie yeah. where hoggett lets all the animals live out their desired destiny so you've suddenly got Ferdinand he gets to be the rooster and exactly. he's just like shagging all the hens <laughs> and, and, and crowing at the crack of dawn all these roles on the farm just get switched around but yeah no I totally appreciate what you're saying but again the depth that we're going into in this conversation sort of really does show how rich the movie is in a way yeah 100% 100%. Did you have any other major criticisms that you had on your list? Not particularly. I think like that was the main one that it was a very hard obstacle for me to get over. Um, I couldn't help but think like, and this is probably me being a cynical adult, but I couldn't help but think like this would work far better as an allegory like it's hard to not compare it to Animal Farm but it would it would work more as like a quite a serious allegory as opposed to a kids movie do you know what I mean yeah and I guess the question at the end of it all is I mean we still want to uh, still need to talk about the changes that we're gonna we want to make to the movie if there are any but I guess the question at the end of it all is how successfully does it hold up as an allegory for these themes um but I think we're getting ahead of ourselves ever so slightly so <laughs> if that's 
everything that you've got on your list, and I think those are actually really valid criticisms uh, and interesting criticisms, uh, you've maybe notched my appreciation of the movie from a 10 out of 10 down to a 9.5. <laughs> I've done my job. Yeah. <laughs> I've crushed uh, a small portion of your dreams today. Well, no, actually, it might even increase my appreciation of the movie because at the end of the day, with the list of movies that we've compiled for this podcast, there is no greater crime that a movie can commit than making an uninteresting episode or an uninteresting discussion. That's true. And I think this movie has absolutely succeeded in at least engaging us in this. Yeah, So definitely. props to it for that. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about the changes we'd like to make to this movie. I've more or less approached my changes in the what I didn't like so much section, but I'll like mm. reiterate a few of them and maybe look at one or two of them in a little bit more detail. But um, Paddy, do you want to start us off with this and, and tell me about changes that you would make? Yeah, so as is probably really apparent at this point, I completely fell in love with this movie when I watched it again. And other than removing the kids and sort of fixing some of the dubbing, which I already mentioned, there aren't a whole lot of changes I would make. I would agree with you about the mice and the title cards. They could probably go. But because obviously in other episodes that we've done, we've completely reimagined the movies and how uh, how we could improve them by completely restructuring them or changing the narrative slightly or removing or adding characters or whatever... Um, and I didn't really have the impulse to do that with this movie. I did, however, come up with an alternative reading of the movie, okay. which I think you could redo the movie and maybe lean a little bit more into this perspective. So what if this whole movie isn't actually this complex allegory of the ethics of farming and existentialism and the heartwarming journey of this pig to find its purpose? What if this whole movie is actually the story of Hoggett's gradually worsening dementia? <laughs> And there's a, there's a few there's a few there's a few moments peppered throughout the movie that sort of hint towards this. I would say, like this could just be a really dark movie about Hoggett's descent into madness. And like, there's the first sort of moment that hints at this is he stood with his fucking shitty family in the kitchen, and they're just like washing up or something. And he he looks out of the window and he sees Babe herding the chickens into the brown you know separating the brown ones from the white ones and he's just like the chickens the brown ones over there the white ones over there something like that and his family just exchange these really worried glances <laughs> like they're just like really worried about him and then there's another moment in the film and this is actually the only time in the movie where the logic of hoggett's character is shown to be really flawed so obviously at one point these wild dogs attack the herd of sheep and kill ma you know and because babe this tiny little piglet is nuzzling ma as she's dying he gets a little bit of blood on his snout and then, because of this, Hoggett assumes that Babe has killed this sheep. And I wrote down in my notes, I was like, does Hoggett really think Babe killed the sheep? Dementia theory intensifies. Like, and so Hoggett takes fucking Babe to, to the shed to, like, to like shoot him with a shotgun. And it's just like, so this, 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 this man is so committed to the idea of this, you know, 
pig's genius that he genuinely believes it is capable of killing a sheep. I just got a lot of amusement out of this for some reason. Once it got into my head, I was like, oh, this is just too funny. And then you get to the scene that I mentioned earlier, which is this really beautiful emotional scene where Hoggett is singing <laughs> singing to Babe. And then that scene, he sings and he gets more animated and more animated. And the scene culminates with Hoggett dancing wide-eyed and manic to a pig <laughs> and to an audience of farm animals who are watching him from the window. And this is so either, this could be read as either sort of like the emotional climax of the movie or the point in the movie where his insanity truly begins to <laughs> yeah, peak. Where his mind snaps. Yeah, yeah. So it's either emotionally <laughs> cathartic or hilarious, depending on your personal head canon. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, so not so much changes that I would make to the movie, but like an alternate reading of the movie. That's great. I love that. Um, in terms of my changes, like I've already outlined them, so I'm not just going to repeat things that I've already said, but basically the way that I would look at it is I feel there needs to be more of a cathartic ending to the film. Don't get me wrong, I think the ending is impeccable in terms of its construction. I love the fact that it's just this basically silent moment of clarity that everyone mm. has that oh my god the pig is amazing at herding sheep like, I, lo <laughs> I really loved that ending but I feel what it doesn't quite do effectively is to challenge some of the more damaging behaviours of some of the characters. There are not enough repercussions for those terrible actions that take place earlier on mm. to make it a fully-fledged, satisfying ending. I think it has a really good surface-level satisfaction to it. It's a good vindication of the farmer, but I feel that, you know, the farmer's actions actually are a little bit disturbing in places, as are <laughs> some of the animal characters' behaviours as well, and they're never really addressed critically. Yeah. Um, maybe the way that I would thinking about it the way that I would maybe address that a bit more clearly is to make Babe less of an annoying naive character and actually make the character sort of actually be a bit more militant and try and make changes because he's adorable obviously because it's a piglet but he's slightly one note isn't he he doesn't really change his perspective doesn't change from start yeah. to finish he decides quite early on in the film and I think the narrator even points it out in the movie that he's just going to treat everyone nicely and always see the best in people mm. and from that moment on it's just that whereas I think what probably needed to happen is that he babe himself needed to try and be a bit more convincing of others to change their ways as opposed to just sort of like one tracking his own philosophy but you know it's really charming and I enjoyed a lot of the decisions behind some of the aesthetics and, and some of the narrative points but I do feel that maybe with some of the themes it could take a more animal farm-esque approach towards it yeah i think that's absolutely fair um so yeah i think we've done it we've gotten to the end and the only thing left to discuss is do you think you need rose-tinted glasses to appreciate this movie or do you think it still holds up today um i think that it still holds up quite effectively actually i think it really works as an interesting movie for adults as well as a whimsical fairy tale-esque narrative for children i think that a lot of the actual fear and horror of this movie that i experienced when i was a kid has now gone which i'm mm. thankful for to be honest it means i can actually sit back and enjoy it as opposed to being like a nervous wreck by the end of it as a kid <laughs> um so i think that actually this might be a rare occasion where the film is far more pleasant as an adult than it was as a child <laughs> in that regard <laughs> so yeah I, I don't think you need rose tinted specs at all to watch this it's, it's definitely uh 
a classic. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would fully agree with your last statement there. I think this is probably the first movie we've watched so far where I think you can appreciate it more as an adult than as a child. I do want to cover the sequel on this podcast at some point because uh, yeah. I am intrigued. And in terms of the movie experience being less horrifying as an adult than when you were a child, I don't remember much about the second movie no. other than it was a weird and bleak experience so i'm wondering <laughs> if that will maybe be a little bit more unsettling for you but yeah in conclusion don't think you need rose tinted specs to enjoy it in fact i would encourage everyone to revisit this film because i'm pretty sure you'll find uh, new things to appreciate that you hadn't even thought of in the first place definitely definitely but yeah so i guess that just about does it before we leave i just need to say thank you to dilettante for letting us use their song my dress as our theme tune please go check them out on social media that is dilettante um but yeah i have been paddy and i've been ollie and we have been rose tinted thank you very much for listening and we'll see you all next time 